It is good to be together. Amen. Oh, right? Man, that, uh, that line, and good grace, people coming together. Uh, God has brought us all together, obviously, in the room here. God has brought us together online as well. Welcome, church. We're kicking off a brand new series here called The Last Word. And I'll just tell you, the, the idea behind the series is that, uh, is that a person's last word, somehow in, in its own unique way, um, speaks to not just their death, but often to their whole life as well. So just a couple of examples is that Leonardo da Vinci, who did not star in the Titanic, but was actually an artist and an engineer, um, his, his last words, his famous last words were, um, then, whoops, his, his last words were, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. I mean, that's pretty intense words. It speaks to his life that the Mona Lisa, like, was offensive to God and humankind because of the, the quality was lacking. Uh, that was Leonardo da Vinci. There's another guy, James W. Bradley, who was, uh, was a murderer sentenced to execution via firing squad in the state of Utah some time ago. His last words were a request, bring me a bulletproof vest. <laughs> last words. Um, somehow, like, the words of somebody at that last moment, like, speaks, again, not just to their death, but to their whole life. And so what we're going to do throughout this series together is take a look at the last words of Jesus and to hear how these words spoken in his death also have a way of highlighting who he was in his life and also who God was as well. And so today we're going to look at the last words of Jesus with his last few breaths saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so I'm just going to ask you to, to kind of hold on to that for just, just a moment. Because as we get into like forgiveness, we got to figure out like for what. And also I want to share with you a, a story when, when I found myself completely and utterly lost. And um, that's a hard thing to do now. Because we're always just like an app away from being found and knowing the exact route to get home. Um, but I'm an exceptional person, and I can get myself exceptionally lost. This one took place some years ago. My wife and I, uh, uh, at the time, we just announced that we were going to get married. I had proposed. It was very exciting. And then my parents decided to announce that they would like to recreate like the best vacation that they've ever had with the whole family. And so one and a half weeks after our wedding date, we're like, let's take the whole family and live in a house together in Hawaii. So speaking of last words, I'm surprised my last words weren't, sweetie, can we honeymoon with my whole family together? <laughs> but like she said yes, and, and off we went. It was a good trip. We decided, living in that house, we needed some time to get away, obviously. And so we took this hiking trip for the day. And so we got in the car, and we had this guidebook that was so cool. And it's like this ultimate guide to, like, finding, you know, hunting down waterfalls. And we're like, this is going to be sweet, you know, trip of a lifetime. We'll do this thing. And it said, like, the instructions were go to mile marker 17.1, and you'll see a break in the fence. Go through it. And then you'll, you'll come up to a to a river, follow the river, until you get to a great big boulder, turn left. 40 more yards, you'll see an old tree, turn right. Another 40 yards, and you'll see this majestic waterfall pictured here. Oh, this is, what an adventure, this is great. As we get in the car, we're driving down the right highway, you know, we get to mile marker 7.1, it's an old fence, like the whole thing looks kind of broken. 
I don't know what's the difference between a breaking fence and a broken fence, but we go through it anyway. And it's not like a river. It's more like a, a creek would be putting it generously. You know, mostly dried up, but we're walking. And I start to see these rocks, and I realize I don't know the difference like when a rock becomes a boulder in size. So we just kind of find a big one and turn right, and we, we hike along a little ways. I only know of, of one way to figure out how old an old tree is, and I'm not cutting it down and counting the rings. I'm not, I'm not doing that on my honeymoon with my family. So I see what looks like an old enough tree. You know, we turn 40 more yards, 50 more yards, 60 more yards, 100 yards, 200 yards. We're hiking. We're Indiana Jonesing our way through. Some of you get that reference. Some are like through the jungle until we get to this clearing. It's just the native Hawaiians. It's like his backyard. And we're like, there's not going to be a waterfall. There's no water around here. And we're looking around like hopelessly lost. It took almost the rest of the afternoon to get back, retracing our steps, back to the car, looking at the map, looking at the mile marker, trying to figure out what went wrong. And maybe you heard it in the story. It wasn't mile marker 17.1. We were at mile 7.1. And so what happened there is that every direction that we followed from that point on just served to get us more and more hopelessly lost. And I, and I share that story with you because some of you, I think, have had that experience where it's like one wrong turn that you took in your past. And it didn't matter how many like right things that you did or how much you worked to correct yourself. It's just because of that one decision, you just found yourself more and more lost at every turn along the way. Like, like I know people, I know people who picked a class in college because of a boy. And attending that, that class was like, well, this class went well. I might as well make it my major and then a career and then a master's degree. And then like a third of a career goes by without ever really stopping and asking, like, is this, is this like what I want to do with my life? Or did I take one wrong turn way back when and every decision along the way just compounded it? And made it bigger and bigger and worse and worse until I got here. I tell you that lying works this way. What happens once and then you got to like figure out what to do next. How's the project coming along? It's great. I just, I, I mean, once I get started with it, it's going to be great. And trying to like figure out, right, like who knows what and like manage that information as best as you can and, and stay hidden most of the time, as best as you can. Addiction, addiction works this way. Or one wrong decision, and you can just try to heap on a pile of right and doing the right thing, but it's like whatever you do, it just serves to get you more and more and more stuck. Some of you have made a financial decision, partnered up with somebody, maybe married somebody, maybe it was a business thing. But it's like one one thing that you signed that you should not have signed for. And it's just like compounded again and again. And you, and you, can't, and you can't escape it. And there's kind of like this fear in coming into church and like, what, what's God like? Is God the kind of God that is going is gonna to hit me with that wrong decision and you got yourself lost? It's time to experience the consequences of that? Or, or is God the kind of God that, that's going to give you a roadmap to like retrace your step and to help find where things went wrong, the mile marker that it went wrong, to do it right again? And I hope that, that you coming here, I hope that there's like this inclination in your heart that says, I, 
I think that maybe God is a God who can help me find my way again. But what, what's God like is the question for us this morning. Uh, that, that sense of, of stepping off the path, uh, trespassing as the Lord's Prayer in some circles goes, um, that, that, that process of missing the mark, failing to measure up, that's the biblical word for sin. Anybody feel like you failed to measure up? The emotion that comes along with it, sometimes we call that sin. Sometimes we call that fear. So, sometimes it's, it's shame. It, it's all of these things. And biblically, it's often called guilt. And what do, we do, what do we do with our guilt, number one? And what does God want us to do? with our guilt, number two. What do, what do we do with our guilt? These are, these are three Bs, and I think this would be fun. <laughs> uh, just on your own, so I'm not gonna have you write it down or anything, but just like, what's your go-to when you experience that, that shame, fear, the guilt? Like, what's your go-to of, of what to do with that? Just left to your, to your own devices. There some options. The first one is to bury it. I wanna be done with this thing. I can minimize it, pretend like it's not a big deal, rationalize it, which is just telling rational lies to myself, see what I did there, um, or, to, or to compromise. Uh, minimize, rationalize, compromise. All different ways of bearing it. Uh, according to legend, I don't know if it's true or not, but there was this fortune cookie that people uh, say sometimes that says, sin uh, doesn't feel like sin the second time around. I got a guy who, uh, who asked for a bulletproof vest that says, it doesn't matter what it feels like. Murder is murder, whether it's the first time or 15th time. We bury, we bury guilt. Try to hide it, minimize, rationalize, compromise it away. Uh, burying it might be yours. Uh, second thing is blaming other people. This goes back, like all the way back. This goes to the beginning of humanity. Genesis 3, God creates people and says, listen, you can, you can eat and drink whatever you want to, stay away from this one tree. That's all I'm asking, just this one thing. And so basically, immediately, the couple eats from, from the tree that they're not supposed to. God drops in on Adam, what did you, one thing, one thing I asked you not to do. And he, and he blames it. He blames it on, on the wife, that ne, guys, that never works. Like literally in the history of humanity, from the very beginning, it has not worked. But then he realizes that very, very quickly. And so Adam starts to blame God. You know, God, you put her here with me. So really, I mean, God, isn't it your fault? We bury, we blame. And the most destructive and unfortunately most common one is that we beat ourselves up over it. I mean, maybe you knew somebody who was just like successful in so much of life. And with an act, a radical act of self-destruction, blew the entire thing up. Why? Oftentimes, it'll come down to it. I just, I didn't feel like I deserved it. What do I do with my guilt? I beat myself up. You know the problem with beating yourself up over guilt and, and dealing with, with it that way? It's that you don't know when to quit. And it just goes on and on. It doesn't go anywhere, but it just keeps cycling through. And it hurts afresh every time. And that's the point. That's what we do. That's what I do. That's what you do. I, I bury, I blame, I beat myself up over it. 
what does God want me to do with it? For that, we get these last words of Jesus from Luke 23, 32. We see Luke give, a, give an account of what happened that day. He says that two other men, both criminals, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. And when they came to a place called the Skull, sometimes it's called Golgotha in Bibles, it literally looked like a skull. It was a hill with kind of like sunken in figure. It, it looked like a skull. They, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. You know, there's a, there's a lot of what that means, and we're going to get into that in just a moment, but first just highlighting what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be held accountable for things that you didn't know are wrong. So around here, uh, we say a dull pencil beats a sharp mind in remembering the truths that God tells you. So consider writing this one down, is that ignorance does not equal innocence. And if you don't believe me on that one, I have a nice stack of speeding tickets that I acquired between the ages of 16 and 19 that all happened with the initial conversation, no police officer, I did not know how fast I was going. And it all ended up with, well, in this case, the insurance company declaring me high risk and asking me to buy insurance somewhere else. The point is, my ignorance did not get me off the hook for those. Ignorance does not equal innocence. Those two are are different things. What, what, what does it mean? Father, forgive them. They, they don't know what they're doing. For starters, it means that Jesus is asking for this. He's leading with grace. That's who Jesus was. He's leading with grace. And, and, he, and he does that every single time. So Some of you coming here wondering, what's God like? And maybe these last words that he breathed tell us not just about his death, but about his life. What's God, like, he leads with grace every single time. We talk about Jesus' death, it also points us, hopefully it points us more towards his life. And we see in his life a story that just encapsulated it so perfectly well. Who he was, leading with grace, but not leaving us there. John 8, that at dawn Jesus appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. So it, it takes two for that particular offense, but that didn't matter because they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? And, and John here is the eyewitness in recording these things. He kind of adds a, adds a line to just explain it. You know, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus, as a trap for Jesus. Now, I don't, I don't know what's worse in the story that this woman gets obviously used by this other person for his selfish ends. He doesn't have to pay the penalty. He doesn't have to pay the offense. But that What's worse, potentially, is that this religious establishment takes a hold of her and drags her over and uses her possibly worse than he used her and drags her out in front of him and says, Jesus, now, now what are you doing? 
You know that the Moses law says that, that we can that this is a capital offense. We can have her executed, or maybe we should. But the Roman overlords behind this whole thing said, you, you can't carry out capital offenses. That's our job. That's the government's job. So Jesus, what are you going to do here? Now, they didn't, they didn't care about the law. They just wanted to trap Jesus. They wanted to lose his followers. They definitely didn't care about the woman, not even a bit. They just wanted to use her to trap Jesus. Jesus, now what, is, what does he do? What would you do? What would you do if you were the woman? And your wrong turn, the thing that makes you want to bury, blame, or most likely consistently beat yourself up has now been dragged out naked for everybody to see. And they're laughing or judging or criticizing and definitely writing you off. Some of you, unfortunately, have maybe had that experience. And for others, that is, the, that is your deepest fear that that would happen. Jesus, for his sake, though, bends down. And he started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and, and, and wrote on the ground. Now, we don't know what he wrote. You know, some people think that maybe he was writing out the commandment, thou shalt not murder. You know, other people think that he was maybe writing down the names of the people gathered there and, and maybe even some of their own sins and some of their own offenses. Like, you think Google has a lot of information on you? Jesus, in that crowd at that moment, he's got a lot of information to you. We don't know what he wrote down. But whatever it was, it was compelling enough. Verse 9. And at this, those who heard began to go away with them. Listen, the older ones first, because they had the longest browser history, until... Only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. And so Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. What's Jesus like? What's God like? Not only in his life, but even at his death. He leads with grace. And it's followed by truth every single time. In the story, it's so compelling. I don't condemn you. But I don't just leave you there either. Leave your life of sin. It's so pointed. Like, like we're going to retrace these steps together. And now by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's power in your life, we're, we're going to go back and we're going to retrace our steps. We're going to go past the, past the tree and the boulder and the dried up riverbed, kind of a creek thing. We're going to go past all of this. We're going to go back to that mile marker. We're going to figure out just exactly where you guys stepped off that path and we're going to offer grace for that moment. 
leading with grace. But, but listen, you're going to have an opportunity to find that waterfall again. You're going to go hiking again one day. Don't do the same mistake again. Lead with grace. Follow with truth. Jesus did that with his life in the interaction with the woman in the story. Think about what this meant for Jesus in his death. You know, as Luke records the story, the eyewitness story, Luke says that Jesus, Jesus, after he was, after he was nailed to the cross, after the rusty nails went in his hand, after the crown of thorns on his head, after he was spat upon, after he was insulted, after he was mocked, after he was spun around in a circle and slapped and said, who slapped? Who hit you? Prophesied to us. I mean, you're, you're a prophet after all. Right after all of this, they put him up on the cross and he looks out. And he looks out and has the audacity to say, Father, forgive them? For, forgive? Father, for, he prays for them? I mean, honestly, that's, that's better than most of us could do. That's better than I could do. I get caught off in traffic, and I'll pray for them. I'll say, Father, flat tire them. And when that doesn't happen, I just imagine that in that moment, their check engine light came on. <laughs> Got them, right? That's me. That's maybe a few of you as well. But Jesus, Jesus, though, no, he grew up in, in his culture. He grew up in the Jewish culture. Good Jewish kid, good Jewish town. I'm sure of it. He grew up in a fair system, in a just system. He grew up in a time where, where there wasn't dentists, so eye for eye, tooth for tooth. I'm not getting my tooth back to make this thing right, to make this thing fair. I'd smile. I'll just take yours. That way it's even. Now, neither of us have a front tooth. It's fair. It's just. That's how Jesus grew up. The Romans, the Romans, they like took that to the next level. They introduced not just fair, not just just. They had a false god named revenge. The Romans said, I can't, I can't lead. We can't rule the world. It's just a system of fairness. No, no, it's going to be retaliation. It's going to be one for ten. That's the lever that we're going to use. You take one tooth, we'll take ten. We'll pay you back ten times. That's how we're going to keep our keep our hand around the throat of this world. That's how we're going to do it. That's what Jesus knew in his humanity growing up. That was the air that he breathed, the, the water he swam in. But when he's mocked, when he's hurt, when he's put up on a cross, he prays for them. Father, forgive them. He leads with grace Every time, it's the God we came and the God that we worshiped here this morning. And where's the truth that follows? The story just kind of ends in Luke, doesn't it? The truth that follows is that he stayed on the cross. He didn't forget. He didn't gloss over the truth. He didn't offer a cheap, a cheap veneer of grace that isn't really grace at all. He says, Father, forgive them. But he knew that that sin had a price attached to it that needed to be paid for. He led with grace. He follows with truth. That's the sin that kept him there on the cross. It's mine. It's yours. It's ours. It's everybody's. That kept him there. Leads with grace. Follows with truth. Listen, some of you, some of you have heard this before. This is not, this is not like new information. What's going to be new information is that he's asking you and I to like to do the same thing this week. To head on into, onto the job site, onto the office, and change your world, change the world based on that 
gathering principle of leading with grace and following with truth. You just imagine some of you boss-employee dynamic, what that would be like to sit down and, and to talk to your boss or talk to your foreman, and, and like she or he like genuinely wants to know what you have to say. They care about you as a person. Some of you have never had a bucket to put that in. It's always been, you want to work here? It's A, B, and C. And that just makes sense. You want to stay in this relationship? It's X, Y, and Z. That just makes sense. It's all I've ever known. And Jesus says, leading with grace. But follow with truth. This is, what's, this is what has to happen now. Think about what that does to a parent-child dynamic relationship. Transitioning from, what did you do that for? To lead, leading with grace. No, I'm genuinely... I'm curious, what made you do that? Help me understand. Okay, but now that I know that this is what the future is going to look like, leading with grace and following with truth. For those of us who have been around the church for a little bit, I think it's the grace part that we've kind of come to expect. I think maybe it's the truth part that's harder to come by. So here's, um, here's what we did earlier this week. Uh, at encounterchurch.org slash the last word, that's the name of the series, so go to the series page, there's an online confessional. Because the truth matters. The truth matters. Lead with grace, follow it with truth. It's anonymous. There's no names attached to it. But truth matters. Confession matters. The sin that held him there matters. And so what we're going to do is invite you all, encourage you all to write down the confession, the anonymous confession. It is what is the sin that held him there? And throughout this series, the last word leading up to Palm Sunday, we've got a 13 to 15 foot wooden cross. Some of you have seen it around. We're putting it out in the front yard. We're letting our neighborhood know it's our sin that held him there. We believe that God is a God of grace, but also a God of truth. John, when he opens his gospel, he says he came, the son of God came full of grace and full of truth. So it's at encounterchurch.org slash the last word. We're going to share our confession. We're going to print those out. We're going to nail them to the cross. And listen, as we, as we continue gathering through, uh, through this series and online, wherever you're from, that's okay too. It's online. Let's go for it. We're going to nail those to the cross over and over and over again. And then on Good Friday and the lead up to Easter, we are going to gather as a community and as a body who leads with grace but recognizes the truth of God that it's our sin that held him there then and I could I could tell you like wh why confess I could tell you things like you know, confession is good for the I think that's true you know we could we could say things like revealing your feeling is the beginning to healing it rhymes so you know it's true right no no I, I think that I think that it is and, and even around here we say things like you're only as free as the secrets you keep and, it, and that's true but church, the bottom line is that we confess our sin to God because he told us to. Because he said, repent and believe. That's the way to salvation. And if we don't own those things, how could we claim 
How can we plan to accept the forgiveness that Jesus offers us? And it's a bold step to like type it out too, right? I mean, that's like, that's involved. I think it is involved. Sometimes in the middle of the night, I'll have like a thought and I'll get up and I'll start to write it out, recognizing that it, it was just a thought. There's nothing actually behind it. It was a terrible idea, you know, realizing that in the next day. But like doing, going through that process of like sitting down and thinking it through, there's something that, that ownership is created in that moment. And that's what I want for you. To experience God as he is. God who leads with grace. And it's always followed by truth. The Holy Spirit will guide you back to the vehicle. Figure out where you went wrong. And then and only then will the future never be the same as the past. But you stand up. Let's pray together. God, we acknowledge today that for a lot of us, we've been very vague with our confession, if there has been one. Uh, God, some, some of us right now are going to sit down in front of a keyboard or behind the screen of a phone, and we're going to be more honest and more real than potentially we've ever been before. God, that is a sacred and a holy moment that's from you and you alone. God, may we not miss this opportunity to experience your grace for forgiveness, but then your truth to change our world and by it to change the whole world. Jesus, we look forward to celebrating again together on Easter your resurrection, your conquering sin and conquering death. God, may your cross always be for us more than enough.